Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. It's been a good weekend. We've had roses on the platform. We've had baptisms all weekend. We'll see how this part goes. There's no promises. That's all I'm saying. If you've been paying attention for the past, I don't know, let's say 10 years or so, you've probably noticed that we as a society are obsessed with superheroes. There was a little movie that came out last weekend. Yes, a superhero movie. This is just a picture to remind you of some of the characters. There's all the heroes on the bottom and then the arch nemesis on the top of that picture. That that movie raised $1.2 billion opening weekend. How many of you saw it? How many of you in the room saw that movie? Yeah, crazy. And at the end, when, just kidding. <laughs> Not gonna ruin the movie for anybody in this place, but we love superhero movies. We love them. And it's not just the special effects in the movies. And it's not just the costumes. I would not feel very super in Superman's outfit. But it's deeper than that. It's the characters and it's the storylines and it's the themes. We love movies that are good versus evil. We love movies where somebody overcomes insurmountable odds. I think part of us deep down inside thinks that maybe we're super in some way or that we'll get bitten by a radioactive spider and develop superpowers. But we love people who are amazingly gifted fighting on our behalf. And we love the self-sacrifice that it takes to fight for freedom and for justice. And we know what the superhero mantra is, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And that's how we want them to live. But what, what if that was changed a little bit? What if superheroes didn't buy into that? What if the superhero mantra was with great power comes great selfishness? What if they just, because they could, completely looked out for number one? They could all play professional sports and rob banks if they wanted to. I mean, honestly, I would love to see the Incredible Hulk as a fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) It's just what they need. But Spider-Man, he could just be really good at shoplifting. I mean, just walking out of the store, grabbing stuff, taking off. Doctor Strange, who can kind of see all the possibilities, would be an amazing gambler. Batman doesn't have superpowers. He's just wealthy, so he would be fine. (laughs) But the Flash would be at the front of every line, you know. Plastic Man would never leave the couch because he'd be like, I can get everything right where I'm sitting. Can you imagine Superman sitting there popping his own popcorn with his laser eyes? It would just be ridiculous. We wouldn't want these people who have such amazing gifts to only serve themselves because they wouldn't be superheroes anymore, they'd be villains. That's the difference. The difference between a superhero and a villain is just who you use your powers for. Villains use their powers for themselves. And that would be a complete waste. Now let's take this grid of what we expect and love about superheroes and kind of place that on our own lives for a minute. What about us? What is it that we are doing with our gifts and resources? Because we are amazingly gifted. There's so many gifts in this place. There's so many resources in this place. 
to most of the world were the superheroes, both in neighborhoods and nations. And so what are we doing with those? What are we doing to fight for freedom and justice? We're in our second week of a justice series. And last week, Steve talked about just people do justice. Now let's break down what just means for just a minute. Just means justified. When you put your faith in Jesus, God makes us righteous. He makes us just. It means that when he looks at us, he looks at us as if we had not sinned. And because of Jesus, we've been rescued. We've been made right. We've been justified. We are just. And we are given gifts. And time and again in scripture, we see that God wants us to use our time and our talents and our position and our possessions to bring justice to the world. Just people do justice. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter 58. And if you wanna grab one out of the pew there and you have supervision, it's uh, page 613. It's a passage about rituals and righteousness. It's a passage about justice. And really it's a passage about what brings joy to God. And that's probably something that we wanna know. What brings God joy? Last week, Steve talked about the just people part, talked about that God is a God of righteousness and then we've been made right. And internally, that righteousness is our character. And externally, that righteousness is our ministry. It's how we do justice. And that's what we're gonna read about. Isaiah 58, starting in verse one. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Now let's pause here for a minute. This is God speaking to Isaiah and he's saying, Isaiah, I need you to get loud. I need you to shout. I need you to be like a trumpet. This isn't a one-on-one conversation. This isn't time for you to be calm and collect. I want you to start yelling. I want you to gather community. I want you to get everybody to focus because this is really important. Here's the message. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Well, that's, that's gonna go over big. You know, sometimes it's not great being a prophet. It's not always the best gig. He's not like pulling the community together to be like, you won a prize, or I just saved a bunch of money on car insurance. He's pulling them together to tell them of their sin. And and God says, I need you to shout it. It's that important. This is so important. I I need you to be a yeller for a minute. Here's what he says, verse two. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. Then down to verse five. God, again, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? So what is it they're they're doing? They're, They're going to church every day. They're learning about the law. They're spending time fasting. They're they're checking every box. They're earning their Bible bucks. All of these things are good things, and yet they're doing them with an agenda. They're doing them in a way that's manipulative. It's, it's observance, it's not obedience, it's formality, it's not faithfulness, it's ritual, but it's not righteousness because it's completely for their own gain. 
They want God to give them stuff. They want God to take care of them. They want God to protect them. Their faith is a vehicle for self-service. They're using their superpowers completely for themselves. And then they bring this complaint to God. And this is so interesting to me. They, they say, God, we've been really hard on ourselves, God. This going to church thing isn't easy. God, we've been fasting. We've been depriving ourselves. And then they ask this question, why aren't you impressed? God, look at me. Look at everything I'm doing for you. God who created the universe. Why aren't you impressed with me? And I don't know if we ever feel like that, but what they're doing is they're crying out for justice. They're saying, God, what about my rights? I'm doing all this work. How come you're not showing up for me? And this is what we usually think of when we think justice. We think of personal justice. The justice that we want to fight for is for ourselves. And so sometimes we go through the motions like that so that we can have justice on our behalf. But their questions show why their religion isn't satisfactory to God or to them. Because it's manipulative and self-serving. And God sees right through their hypocrisy. It's as if on one side, they've got their Instagram and they're like, look at me, I'm in church. Look at me, I'm fasting. See all the good things that I'm doing? But then on the other side, they've got their Instagram. They've got all this bad stuff that's going on in their life and they only show that to a couple of people over here. But God, God, look at all this good stuff I'm doing over here. And in verse five, God says, do you really think this pleases me? And then he goes on in verses six to seven and says, this is what I want. This is the kind of fasting I'm asking for. And here it is. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. <laughs> that might be the most convicting part of the whole service for you. <laughs> you might remember nothing else. You might look through here and be like, yeah, the food thing I can do, the shelter thing I can do, clothes. You don't know my family. <laughs> I'm out. But that's what God says. This is what God wants them to do. Do justice. God says the way that you show your ingenuine relationship with me is the way that you do justice with other people. That's how we know. That's how we know that we're in genuine relationship with God is how we do justice towards others. Another way of saying this is how, how we bring peace. Because doing justice is bringing peace. I love that the vision statement here at Salem Alliance is a city at peace with God. And I love that it's literally spoken over us as we enter and exit the sanctuary. To do justice is to bring peace. Bible Project has a video that explains peace really well. Let's watch that for just a minute. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. 
Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. We are a people of peace. And because we are a people of peace, we are tasked with bringing peace, with doing justice. Now, if you're hung up for just a minute, we can't ignore the fact that in that video, peace was equated with the building of a wall. And in our current cultural context, the building of a wall seems like anything but peace. So don't get hung up on the wall thing. But understand that what it's talking about is it's saying there's a whole lot of complexities. There's a whole lot of moving parts to this. And we are called to help put things back together. That's what bringing peace, that's what doing justice is. And so peace by peace, we're called to bring peace. And what I love about this picture is that it's actionable and achievable. If I stood up here and said, what we really need to do is solve world hunger, that's a great goal, but it's completely overwhelming. And you might hear that and go, I, I got nothing. But if we're told, hey, listen, you have a hungry neighbor and you could bring them a meal, that's something that you can do. 
That's a way for you to come along and to bring wholeness to something that's broken. You know somebody that needs clothing. You know somebody that needs shelter. You have a relative that you've been hiding from. (laughs) Piece by piece, we can bring peace. You see, what we do in the sanctuary makes a difference in our society. It has to. Our relationship with God has to spill over into our relationships with other people. And the people at the beginning of Isaiah 58, they were fasting. They were depriving themselves of food and comfort. And God comes along and he says, if you're going to deprive yourself, do not do it for the sake of your own religiosity. If you're going to deprive yourself, do it for the sake of the oppressed. If you're going to deprive yourself, do it for the sake of the helpless, of the needy, of the poor. That's the kind of fasting that I want. I want you to remember what Jesus did for all of us in this place. He paid a debt that we couldn't repay at all. And so we remember we're just and we need to do justice. Now, admittedly, Social media has made it easy for us to participate in justice issues without actually bringing any healing or wholeness. And there's a term for this. It's called slacktivism. (laughs) It almost doesn't need a definition, but it's a combination of slacker and activism. And it means minimal participation in social justice issues, mostly so that you look good to others on social media. It's so that you can feel good about yourself having participated in a cause. Sometimes it's called clicktivism. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Let's say on your, on your feed, this verse comes up. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And you read that verse and you go, oh, that's deep. Yeah, way to go, James, for writing something important. You know what? I'm gonna like that. First of all, to show how much it really means to me. And then I'm going to forward it and repost it a couple times, right? Because that, does that bring any any wholeness? Does that bring any peace? Is that doing any justice? He's like, goodbye, stay warm, click. Nothing. We are called to do justice. The message in Isaiah 58 is the same message for us. Justice is the grand indicator of our relationship with Jesus. Are we a people who do justice? And it's gonna cost us something. It's it's not as easy as just clicking a button. It should cost us something. Bruce Waltke is an author and a seminary professor and he studied righteousness and justice throughout the Old Testament. And he came to this conclusion. He said, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And I look at that and that's convicting because there are times that I don't share my resources and I want to say it's me being frugal, but it's not frugality according to scripture and it's not even stinginess, it's injustice. Because just people are supposed to do justice. That's who we should be as the body of Christ. I want to remind us real quick of three motivations, three things that should cause us to lean into justice, ways to help us to do justice. The first is this. We need to remember that all people have infinite value. If we're going to be a people that do justice, we remember that Genesis 1.26 says, we have been created in the image of God, all of us. 
which means that we are sacred, which means we have infinite value. It's not just for the good people or for certain people, it's all people. And not everybody thinks this way or thought this way. Some of the great thinkers of all time didn't think this way. Aristotle wrote in his work, Politics, some were born to be slaves because he thought the dignity of humanity lied in their ability for rational thought. And so he says, slavery is both expedient and right. It's, it's useful and it's proper. And that seems incredibly harsh. But some people think that. Some people think, yeah, well, some were born to this position and some were born and they don't have rights and they have rights. Some are valuable and some are not valuable. C.S. Lewis wrote on the other side of it in his essay, Weight of Glory. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. That everybody has value, infinite value. Ephesians 2 says we are the workmanship of God. Psalm 139 says that God was intimately involved in creating each one of us uniquely. And he laid out the days before us and he thinks about us all the time. Imagine how my perception of justice would change if I had this comprehension, if I understood this completely. All people have infinite value. The second thing that will lead us towards doing justice is an understanding that our resources are a gift for us to manage. They're a gift for us to manage. Too often we think that hard work plus determination equals success, equals possessions, equals money. And so we think, well, I did the hard work and I had the determination, therefore I can take all of these resources and do with them what I want. But that's not what scripture says. We need to make a mental shift from owners to stewards. We have some authority, but we don't have ownership. Maybe we need to think of ourselves more along the lines of being fund managers, where God has given us certain assets for us to kind of allocate to bring fame to his name. Because the Bible is clear in that. In, in 1 Chronicles 29, it says this. Right there. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. It's all God's. And he's kind of loaned it out for us for us to use wisely so that we can do justice. And I realize that sometimes we can become jaded in our justice. Sometimes we give our resources, we give our time and people will abuse those things. And we think, well, because that happened at that time, then I won't do that again. Or we think there's a whole lot of people in this world with a whole lot more money than me. And when they start giving, then maybe I'll start giving. I read a story this past week about uh, the website Kickstarter. Kickstarter is an online platform where you can take an idea that you have, some creative idea, you put it online, and then you put a fundraising goal where you hope people will support you in doing this idea. And so this guy, his name was uh, Zach Brown, announced to the world on Kickstarter, I'm going to make potato salad. I'm not really sure what kind yet. And then he put a fundraising goal next to it. And a couple weeks later, he had raised $55,000. So he made potato salad, shared a video thanking his over 7,000 supporters for making potato salad. 
Now there's a couple of things you're thinking right now. First, I wish I had that idea. That's the first thing you're thinking. It's the first thing I thought when I read it. Oh, why didn't I think of that? But the second thing is, is that's ridiculous. He made potato salad. All these people gave him money. I'm not giving money. There's people out there, there's money, plenty of money. And this guy kept all that money, just made potato salad. I'll hang on to mine and I'll do what I think is right with mine, which usually is me. But if we wanna be a people of justice, we have to understand that our resources are just a gift, a gift for us to manage. And lastly, and I think most importantly is this, if we wanna do justice, we need to understand that we are free and just by the grace of God. If we really grasp God's grace, then we should do justice. Matthew 5 says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And to be poor in spirit is to know that we're spiritually bankrupt, that we are in desperate need of God. But too often we don't see ourselves that way. Too often we see ourselves as middle class in spirit. And to be middle class in spirit means that somehow, somewhere along the line, we've done something, we've worked a little bit, we've fasted, we've gone to church, we've volunteered, and we've earned our spiritual standing just a little bit. That's why I'm middle class in spirit. I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm, I'm a Christian for a living. I'm a professional Christian right now. So maybe I've earned a little bit of my standing. It's, it's the classic older brother from the prodigal son story who thought his obedience to his father somehow earned him more, but it was manipulative and it was controlling. And I'll be honest, sometimes I can land there. Sometimes I can land there where I'll say, yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done some stuff. I'm kind of middle class in spirit and, and I've, I've earned it and so you can earn it too. See, the problem with people who think they're middle class in spirit is they become indifferent to the poor. The problem with people who are middle class in spirit is they forget about justice issues. Because they say, well, I've worked for some of mine. You can work for it too. But it's different when we understand grace. When we understand that we haven't worked for any of our salvation, that there's been nothing that we can do to earn it, then we can't look at other people and say, get your stuff together. Come on. Because we know that we couldn't get our stuff together with Jesus. There was nothing we could do on our own. So that when we see needy people, it should be like looking in the mirror. And that's what happens when you have a profound experience with grace. You see, just people do justice. Now, are you feeling guilty yet? On a scale of one to guilty, where are you? Because sometimes we can come to church and we can hear messages and we're like, well, I'm not doing that. And we can jump to these conclusions. We can say things like, well, okay, so it's go to church, learn about the Bible, fast, and do justice stuff. Then I've got everything. But that's not what this is saying at all. This passage is a critique of that type of religion. This isn't supposed to be legalistic. It's not like just add something else to your list to keep doing. It's this idea of when we understand the heart of God, when we truly comprehend what Jesus did for us, when we see other people the way God saw them, then we will be compelled to do justice. So there's a couple things I want us to hang on to in closing. Usually we give some handles, things that we can lean into and kind of put into practice over the coming weeks. And the first one is this, do justice. 
That's simple. And if I'm honest with you, I wanted to be able to stand on stage this weekend and give you the next great ice bucket challenge. I wanted to give you this super creative idea that everybody could lean into and it would go viral. And God was like, yeah, you just want to do that for yourself. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm these people in Isaiah 58. And uh, the reality is, though, that the world needs our energy and creativity. There is so much energy and creativity in this place. I have no doubt the next great social justice ideas are brewing already. Maybe you're doing them already. And so I would say to do justice, begin to have a conversation with your friends. Begin to have a conversation with your family. Listen to your children. Some of the coolest justice issues that I've gotten to be a part of are because I've listened to my children and they've come up with these ideas. And then when you begin to lean into these, here's what I would ask by way of encouragement to us here at Salem Alliance and maybe to other people. Post a picture of you doing it, not pridefully, but post a picture and use this hashtag, one piece at a time. What we're saying is we wanna be a people who inspire each other to continue to bring wholeness and completeness to Salem, to Oregon, to the world. Do justice. The second thing I would ask you to hang on to and lean into uh, is do justice. <laughs> I know. It's going to stick. Maybe it'll stick. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know where to start. I have no idea. I have some helpful justice starters for you. There's so many things here that Salem Alliance does that lean into justice issues, and they would love your help. They would love for you to lean in on all of these amazing things that seek to bring justice to the world. And I would love to read you a story from every single one of these, but we do not have that kind of time. But I do wanna read you one quick testimony. It comes out of our GLOW ministry. GLOW is our ministry for uh, families with children with special needs. And so a parent sent this testimony in several weeks ago. A year ago, I dedicated my boys to Christ, not knowing that Grady would be diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder a short four months later. Attending church with Grady over the last year has been one of the most challenging things I've ever had to face. There are struggles that special needs families go through to connect with church and community in meaningful ways. Many of us struggle to simply get out of bed on Sunday morning and make our way to church. I can relate to that for sure. But starting about nine months ago, I found it impossible to enjoy more than 15 minutes of a church service. My prayers have been answered in a way I never could have imagined. My friend told me about a special needs program at Salem Alliance Church called GLOW. Love God, love others. GLOW's statement says, we believe all children and families should have the opportunity to come to church to worship, learn, fellowship, and serve in community. Yes, it's a one-hour commute each way. But when we attended last Sunday, Grady cried and sobbed when it was time to go. He was so happy to be at church for the entire service. And with the one-on-one -on -one support the volunteers were able to provide, he got his very first Bible lesson. I feel so incredibly blessed that I can honor my dedication of my boys to Christ and finally have a church home. Such a great story. There's so many testimonies that come from people leaning into justice issues bringing wholeness, bringing peace. Lastly, I would say this, do justice. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't have come up with a different one at this point. And I would say just a reminder that one of the biggest justice issues in the world is people who do not have access to the gospel. And we need to be a people who continue to share, a people who continue to pray, be a people who continue to send 
and be a people who continue to go. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna have our reach services where we're gonna talk about what God is doing in the world and begin praying about that now. Maybe God is stirring something in your heart. Do justice, just people do justice. And I love that in Isaiah 58, it, it doesn't end with a threat. God doesn't say all these things and then end with a threat. He ends with a promise. And here's what he promises. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. He promises light and salvation. And your wounds will quickly heal. He promises healing. Your godliness will lead you forward. He promises direction. And the glory of the Lord will protect you. Protection. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He promises his presence. God promises all these things when we become a people who do justice. And so may that be us. May we bring wholeness. And maybe the whole time you've been sitting here going, when is he going to fill the hole in that wall? That is driving me crazy. (laughs) That's up to you. That's up to us. We get to do justice together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thank you for this reminder in Isaiah 58, and I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would forgive me for when I go through the motions. Forgive me for when my obedience has an agenda. Jesus, forgive me for when I think I'm middle class in spirit. And I pray that you would give us courage. I pray the blessing of courage over this place. I pray the blessing of energy over this place. I pray the blessing of creativity over this place. That you would use us in amazing ways to do justice and to bring fame to your name alone. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.